You're listening to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast, a comfy, cozy place for private practice introverts, highly sensitive therapists, and solopreneurs who help and heal. This is the place for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. And welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Cindy. Here in episode 75, I'm going to chat with Kelly Stevens of the Private Practice Pro about the importance of building referral relationships. Now on to our conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm here with Kelly Stevens of the Private Practice Pro, and today we're going to be talking about building referral relationships. But first, Kelly, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love, love, love your podcast. And I'm so excited to be a guest today. And I'm also just like a big fan of yours. So I'm super excited. And as you said, my name is Kelly Stevens. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Santa Barbara, California. Um, But I also run an online consulting business called the Private Practice Pro, where I teach therapists how to build successful and sustainable cash pay private practices through, I do some one-on-one consultation, but the majority of my business is in online courses and materials um, for people to really get their practices set up. So it's really fun to be here. And I'm so, I love talking about private practice. So this will be fun. Yeah, I absolutely love your Instagram. And that's how I, you know, I guess we got connected because yeah, if you're not following Kaylee on Instagram, it's at the private practice pro. There's some amazing content on there. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I know. It's fun to be Instagram friends, right? Like I'm always shocked when I meet people and I become friends with them through Instagram, but I guess that's how the world, that's how we're, we are now, right? In this post-COVID world. It is. Yeah. I have so many friends from Instagram, especially in most of the people that come on the podcast I met on Instagram. So (laughs) probably, I mean, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, building a private practice, it can be I mean, it's exciting and scary at the same time. I know that we all have that mix of feelings when we're getting started. And, but I also love being able um, to provide information to people that are considering starting their private practice because, you know, you really can do it. And I would hate for people to be too scared to go into that. And I see that sometimes, but I think most people do work up enough courage to get started, even though it's scary. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I think that, sorry, if there's a little background noise here. Oh, don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, I tried to mute myself, but um, yes, I completely, completely agree with you. I think that there's so much fear that goes into it. And I was actually thinking about that yesterday that, you know, I think the biggest barrier people have to overcome is the just getting started barrier, you know, and there's so many kind of cliche memes out there that are like, you just got to start, you're going to wait in a year or you're going to regret it or whatever if you didn't start. But I, I believe that to be so true that the hardest part is just making the decision to open a private practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know that today we're going to be talking about building referral relationships and that's a huge part of growing your practice and to be able to do that and know how to do that effectively. So I'm really excited about this topic so people can feel more comfortable in knowing how to do that and how to, you know, the best ways of going about that. So 
Yeah. Take it away. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about it. So, you know, I was thinking about today's episode and thinking about, you know, it, it can feel to people like, oh, I don't need to think about referrals until I'm already established. And, you know, I actually think that's not true. And this is kind of a big myth. So one question I get a ton on Instagram and from other therapists in my network is, when is the right time to open a private practice? And so a lot of times people think that like, it's when they have a certain amount of money saved up or a certain amount of years in the field and things like that. And although those things are really important and really true, I actually tend to tell people the best time to open a private practice is when you're willing to put in the work to get referrals and when you're confident in your ability to do that and to put yourself out there. And so that's kind of the key, right? Like you don't have clients, you don't have a practice, no matter how great of an office you have or or how beautiful of a website, like you really have to learn how to build referral relationships, you know? Mm -hmm. So that would be, I would say the, the very first most important thing. And I'm curious for you, how did it, like when you, those first 10 referrals or something, how did you get those? Yeah. Well, I started my practice a few years before COVID. So I know that now it is a lot easier to get clients um, because so many people are interested in therapy. Um, But I know that it took me five months to get my first clients. And I felt like I done everything right. It was just opening up a private pay practice. It did take a little bit longer. And like I said, it was pre-COVID and there wasn't the abundance of people that were seeking therapy uh, that there are now. But um, I networked a lot. And even before I, or while I was still in grad school, I reached out to some of the therapists in the area just to get to know them and ask questions because I knew that I wanted to open up a private practice before I even went to grad school. So that really wasn't a a big decision for me to have to make. Um, But I think that that was pretty helpful, but I think for the colleague referrals to come through that it took a little bit longer because you do have to build those relationships with people. I know for me, the most effective thing was having a very clear niche. So I worked with, I was a therapist for happy couples and I titled my practice AVL couples therapy or like Asheville couples therapy. So And I wrote a lot of blogs about couple relationships and things like that. But I think initially it was my website because people were doing Google searches and found out about me. But very soon after that, it was those colleagues and the people that I had connected with in the community that were sending me referrals. So um, I think with me starting out, it was that combination of website and a lot of networking with the, the local colleagues. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that that's number one. And I think the story you're telling is exactly what I hear from like 90% of my clients that are my therapist clients that I work with, you know, and I always tell people the first 10 referrals to come into your private practice are absolutely the hardest to get. Mm -hmm. And it's the time when I see most therapists give up, you know, if they're going to give up, I see them give up before the first 10. And so I always like to tell people like the first 10, you got to beg, borrow or steal, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. Not, but like, that's a funny phrase, but yeah, um, you know, like they're going to come from so many random places and those are the hardest. And then at that point there's, I feel like there's kind of this magic tipping point around 10 to 12 clients where mm-hmm. one, ideally your clients start referring back to you. And then two, 
you've probably worked on some cases collaboratively with some other people. And so then other providers start referring to you, you know, Mm -hmm. people start to know you in the community, but before that it, it is hard, you know? And so I like doing exactly like what you said. So I'll tell people, um, you know, I, I often will say, okay, first I want you to sit down and I want you to think about who your ideal client is, you know, and exactly like you're saying, and I talk a lot about this in my online course, but like having a niche is so, so, so important, you know, because if we don't have a niche, then we're kind of a jack of all trades. People don't know, you know, we only get like a little sound bite in someone's head. They want to be able to say, oh, that's Cindy. She sees couples. Okay. How many couples can I send her way? Those sort of things. But if it's like, oh, she's Cindy and she sees couples and teens and kids and perimenopausal and, you know, I mean, and, and then they forget, mm-hmm. you know, like, so I tell people like, First, we need to get really clear on who your ideal client is. And at that point, then let's literally do kind of like a brain dump on a piece of paper. Who are all the people that have potential contact with that ideal client? So if we just did an example, like um, women in their 30s, okay? So like if you tend to treat women in their 30s, we're going to look at probably gynecologists have, you know, some sort of relationship with them, primary care doctors, maybe yoga instructors, massage therapists, um, sometimes pediatricians, sometimes they have kids like, and just like brain dump on a piece of paper, every single type of provider that you can imagine would have access to your ideal client. And then those are the people you've got to reach out to. Mm -hmm. And I think it getting creative can be really cool because I think it's great to do the very obvious ones because they're obvious for a reason, especially primary care doctors, other therapists in the area, the gynecologists, yoga instructors. And even when I was getting my hair done the other day, I noticed how so many people were just talking to their hairdresser about everything. And I think that you know, networking with your own hairdresser oh, to, yeah. to just let them know what you do. And that way, cause they may know you're a therapist, but they might not know about your practice. And you could say, Hey, I work with women that, so if you have any clients that are struggling with this and they're open to it, let them know about me. Cause I'd love to help. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And like, you, I think you can get creative with that. Even if like, I know I've known my hairdresser forever, but we've talked about this before of like putting together just like a little women's in business list. Like, you know, this is my favorite hairdresser. This is my favorite acupuncturist. This is a therapist just putting it in our offices, you know, and there's so many different little ways that you can do that. And, you know, I think the other part of that is like, I think we envision that it's going to take hundreds of people referring to our practice for us to be full. But the reality is if you have like four to 10 people, maybe that are referring to your practice on a consistent basis, Mm -hmm. one therapist, you're going to be full. Yeah. We're not talking about hundreds of people. Um, And I think that that's, I don't know. Have you found that to be true too? Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it is discovering those gems. Um, I was just talking with one of my therapist clients a few days ago, and she was talking about how she did this marketing challenge where she reached out you know, to so many people in so many days um, and wanted to set up networking, like Zoom meetings and everything and got, you know, about a 50% response. And it was really great. And, you know, through all those networking meetings, she said it wasn't um, 
any of it wasn't wasted time, but there's maybe like one or two people that she really connected with. And this one other therapist has already sent her like four or five people and thinks of her all the time. So going through all of that and meeting all those people to find these one, two or three people that really love what you're doing and are going to be your referral sources. I think it's totally worth all that reaching out. hundred percent. That's so true. Like you know, I think about that now with just like, how do I explain what I'm trying to think about? I always think that the people who are most likely to refer to us are kind of our professional friends. Mm-hmm. It's not always, and I posted about this recently on Instagram, it's not always our best friends, right? Like it's not always the people we see all the time. Cause in some ways, sometimes they know us too well that they're like, oh, I don't know. But those professional friendships, people that you want to go to coffee with, you know, if somebody doesn't want to sit with you and have a coffee for an hour, they're probably not going to be the person. I mean, a lot of times they are going to refer to you anyway, but like, those are the gems, the people you want to spend time with. Because if you think about it, like you're saying to somebody, I'm trusting you enough to send people during some of the worst moments in their lives to you. So you have to find a way to show them that you're a trustworthy person, which oftentimes involves building professional friendships. Yeah. And I think Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the points that you're making. And even going back to the, it just popped into my head again about those first 10 clients being the hardest to get. And I think I, I just want to repeat that to those of you out there who are maybe, you know, maybe you have three clients or maybe you're stuck at five or six clients hang in there. Like it, it yeah. will happen, but I do see people giving up during that time because it's not always easy. And I think letting people know that there's those first 10 clients are the very hardest to get. But once you get those, then it does become a lot easier. I promise. (laughs) Oh, it does. Yeah. Don't give up, you know, definitely. And I think like, I got an interesting question recently on Instagram from someone that, and I'm interested to hear your response on this. So she messaged me and said, I did a whole sweep of doctors in my community, right? I brought lunch to all these doctors and then it's been a year and none of them have referred to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I told her is I was like, if you're bringing lunch into doctor's offices or something, I want you to be there four times a year, you know, like Mm -hmm. once a year is not going to cut it. Yeah. Um, But I think people are hesitant. They don't want to seem annoying or they don't want to seem, you know, pushy, but I don't know. So like for you in your referral network, how often do you feel like you're following up with people? Um, I think it depends on the person and, and what, what it is, but I do try to remain in touch because some people, it may be monthly, some, it may be seasonally. And sometimes a once a year check-in is good enough, but yeah, if you go visit a doctor's office once, bring them lunch, you don't know how many other therapists have done that too. And you might be one of 10 therapists that have done that this year. And then they never see you again or never hear from you again. You're not going to, you know, stick out in their minds. So it really, if it's, um, if you think it's a really good referral source, then don't be hesitant to, yeah. Cause I get it. I, I never want to seem annoying. I'm sometimes hesitant to reach out and especially more than one time, but I think if this specific doctor's office, that it really is going to be, Uh, they're probably seeing your ideal clients and you think it's going to be a good match. And you come at it from that perspective of, I am here to support the people that you're working with in this genuine way. And be like, can I 
come in quarterly and each quarter I can do a different presentation on a different topic or do a different angle. Or so I think that's the way it takes time. I think when we're getting something started, we're so excited about it and we want it to happen now, but it, and that's, I think why we give up too early because we have this big dream, these big expectations. And when it doesn't happen within a week or a month, or even six months or even a year, it can be really easy to give up on it. But anything that's worth something, I think is worth the time putting into it. Oh, a hundred percent. I could not agree with you more. I mean, I think I'll always tell people a rule of thumb of like five points of contact before a referral. Mm -hmm. I got to hear from five. And that doesn't mean you go visit them five times, but Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, maybe you visit them or you go to coffee with someone and then a couple of weeks later, you send them an article about something you talked about and maybe you drop off bagels one morning for Valentine's Day, you know, like mm-hmm. make a little excuse, you know, but I think it, it takes time. And, and that's one of the things that I see people most struggle with that they think, oh, I just talked to someone once they're going to refer to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very, um, I don't know, that's an assumption that is kind of dangerous because it really it's not true. Like you don't just meet with someone one time and then they send you everyone they run into, you know, take, yeah, I've heard from, so yeah. And I hear this from so many new therapists. They're like, you know, I met with 30 people and no one sent me a client yet. And once you start asking more questions, it might've been this really quick networking thing, like no follow-up, know anything. And I'm like, well, have you ever talked to them again? And it's been six months and they're like, well, no, I'm like, well, they might not even remember you because who knows how many times they've met with people for coffee. So just staying top of mind. And I love the examples that you gave. It's not like you have to do the exact same thing, like a coffee date every single time. But like you said, if you've done something or presented somewhere or written an article, sharing it with them or uh, sending them a little note card or you know, even just an email, like, oh, I've updated my practice. I wanted you to be aware of some of the changes. Well, and I think that that's the benefit of like, you know, a lot of times people will say I'm sending out a monthly newsletter, um, which I think is great. You know, like I'm always terrible about sending mine out. So me too. (laughs) You're on my list, sir. You're not getting them as much as you probably should be. But I always tell people like sometimes people will agonize over what's in the newsletter. Right. And they'll spend Mm -hmm. hours and hours. And not that you shouldn't do that. Right. Like my <laughs> look at my Instagram, it's like riddled with typos. So <laughs> maybe I'm not the best person to say about this, but I tell people like, that's just one more point of contact. Right. So like they may not open it, they may open it, but if they see Cindy in their inbox, they're like, Oh, I remember that time I had coffee with her. Oh, that was such a great experience when I saw her at that training or whatever. So like, it's just bringing you to the front of their mind. And so all those little things that you do individually, whether it's sending out a newsletter, having a social media page, meeting with people for coffee, any little thing, it's just like more sound bites that you're kind of in their consciousness, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, those things aren't, shouldn't be underestimated, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, I'm curious, like for you, I've seen it kind of evolve throughout my career referrals and where they come from. And has that been the case for you? Yeah, I know that initially uh, in my private practice, because I had my private practice for about five years. So in the very beginning, it really was from my website um, because I did have that specialty and it was specific to my area and I had a clear niche. And then it started to become um, 
yeah, local therapists in the community, people that I've ne- networked with and got to know over time. And then they started sending me clients. And then a little bit further down the road, it was my current and past clients that started giving my name out there. And that can take a little while because, you know, when you're working in the midst of work with clients, they may or may not be referring you. But sometimes when you're finishing up with some clients and they've had a good experience, they might mention it to someone that they know. So I started noticing further on down the road, it was a lot of previous and current clients that were sending me referrals. So it did evolve over time. What's been your experience? Yeah, that's the same, almost the same, actually. In the beginning, a lot from my website. I was lucky in the sense that I came from a group practice. And so by the time I opened my own office, I had been working for a group and been licensed. Um, and I'd been in that group for like four and a half years. So I had a pretty established practice at that point. Um, but still, anytime you go out on your own, you know, especially if people are used to coming to see you in a group, um, there's some hesitancy of referring to you versus referring to the group. Um, so at first, kind of like we've talked about, like my referrals came from anywhere and everywhere, right? I was, I said yes to everything, <laughs> every networking meeting, any, you know, I was calling people up and trying to get together with people. And then it started to be, yes, my past clients, definitely. And then also what I noticed for me was like, once I was a little more established, there were like probably about 10 other providers that kind of worked really collaboratively together. You know, someone who saw someone kind of became known for seeing couples. So they'd get a lot of referrals for couples. And then a family therapist would see a lot of families. I've always seen teens. So, you know, that was an easy niche for me because like a lot of people don't want to see teenagers. So it was like, okay, you see the parents, I'll see the child or the teen, or you, the couple needs couples therapy and the teenager needs therapy or an ADHD coach or, and it kind of became, I noticed that a lot of therapists, at least where I live in kind of the cash pay world have kind of a group of people that they're referring to. And as I got more established, I feel like I kind of got in on that group and I had a couple different offices in different cities. So depending on where I was, and then that's when it really took off you know, mm-hmm. in terms of like referrals. Cause then you're just, you're referring to each other. And, you know, I'll often say you have to give a referral away before expecting one back. So I was also at the point when you have some referrals to give away, that really helps because <laughs> obviously yeah. if you send someone a referral, then ideally if someone's a good clinical fit later, then they, let's say somebody else is a good clinical fit and you're a good clinical fit then they're probably going to refer to the person that's already referred to them as long as clinically you're equivalent, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I love that example. And always, um, we'll think of things in terms of energetics, like being able to, if you're showing that, um, capacity to, to refer out and to support other people, then I think that's going to return to you and you're going to get that back. Um, because I think sometimes energetically when you're trying to just, you know, collect all the clients and be stingy about referring them out, then it may send that out energetically that other people might not want to refer to you because it's, uh, I don't know, it's nothing that can be proven, but I think there is a lot to be said about the energy of that. Okay. (laughs) So interesting because, oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay. So I posted a reel recently on Instagram that said that when you're in a networking meeting, 
my recommendation is not that you say, I really need clients, but you say, it doesn't mean that there's anything to be ashamed of with not having any clients. Right. (laughs) But we live in the real world. That's what I always think. And so like when you meet with somebody and your only goal is to take from them and Mm -hmm. to say, I really need clients. Can you help me out? Can you send me referrals? Then it's not an energy that people necessarily you know, maybe they'll do it because they want to help you out, but it's not an energy of like, I want to build a relationship with this person because it's mutually beneficial. And that's, it's not the only reason why people refer to people, but we, we do, we are small businesses. Right. And so what I always tell people to go into meetings with is an energy of, I have something to give to this person, even if it's not a client. Mm -hmm. Right. So instead of going in with the energy of, I need to meet with this person because I need clients. It's like, Hey, I, I might not have any clients right now, but I'm happy to be a person that you could call for clinical consultation on cases, or I'm happy to attend your networking events and bring friends, or I'm happy to introduce you to other people in my network or provide information on trainings I've been to. Or like, if you go in with a spirit of like trying to support their business and trying to give to them, then you'll be shocked by the response that you get versus like, I really need help. And I got so much negative feedback from that, that post (laughs) because people were saying like, we shouldn't be ashamed to say that we don't have any clients. And that's so true. You shouldn't be ashamed, but it's, there's a nuance there where like, um, not that you have to lie. You shouldn't lie. You can, but it's like, yeah, I'm just starting out. I don't have any clients, but here's what I do have to offer you. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. Yeah. It's not, it's not about not having any clients. There's nothing to be ashamed of because m- when people start out, no we'll one has any clients. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's nothing to be ashamed of, but there's something to be said in the energy that you go into these meetings with. It's not like you're lying about having clients when you don't or you know, trying to cover that up or being ashamed of it. Like you can still say, Hey, I don't have any clients. And I'm also meeting with you because I have something to give to, and I'm just not trying to get from you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or even like, sometimes I'll tell people you, you can say like, I'm just starting out. I don't have any clients, but I have tons of clinical experience working with X, Y, and Z. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the pivot. I think that's important rather than focusing on the lack of whatever it is, you know, you want to come in with an energy of giving. And like, I think, especially with therapists, you know, we all give so much to other people that when you take another therapist to coffee, like I'll always say, if you invited them to coffee, you pay for coffee, you mm-hmm. know, like treat them and, and reach out to them and try to do things for them. You know, try to think of any point of contact that you have of being a partnership or being somebody in this community that's supporting them or, I'll often say, you know, gratitude goes a long way. Even Mm -hmm. if you send a text to somebody and you say, you know what, it's so cool that you're helping strengthen couples relationships right now. You know, we're in a pandemic. It's been a hard year for couples. And I really admire that you're doing that. Yeah. People want to feel validated, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's true. It's not an easy time to be a therapist. Yeah. yeah. That makes you stand out as a kind and caring person. And they're going to interpret that as you being an amazing therapist as well. It's going to oh. speak to your clinical skills. So yeah, you can never go wrong with that kindness and coming from a place of giving, even when you feel like you don't have much to give. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what I can give away, but like, we all have things to contribute. You know, mm-hmm. I totally yeah. love that. 
Well, I've loved this conversation. Anything that you want to leave the listeners with on this topic? Hmm. I would just say what we reiterated before, like, don't give up. The first 10 are the hardest. If you're listening to this, you're oftentimes just starting out, you know, and just make sure to keep, keep going, keep reaching out. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Let people know how they can um, find out more about you and see what you're up to. Yeah. Okay. So the easiest way to connect with me is on Instagram. Um, I have Facebook too, but I'm more active on Instagram at the private practice pro. Um, and I have a website, the private practice um, I have online courses and scripts books and all sorts of stuff on my website for therapists. And so I always love hearing from you guys. Perfect. I'll link to all that in the show notes and we'll be back next week with Kelly and we're going to be talking about marketing your practice online. So I hope you'll join us for that. So thanks for being here, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. For episode 76, I continue my conversation with Kelly about marketing your practice online. If you haven't yet listened to episode 74, I urge you to do that. In that episode, I encourage you to stop living for the weekend. I'm truly grateful that you choose to join me here for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. For more inspiration and to see what I'm up to, join me over on Instagram at Mountain Practice Journeys. If you're enjoying yourself here, please head over to Apple Podcasts and hit those five stars and I'll be over the moon. And if you'd like to work with me, join me in Forest Mind, my cozy small group mastermind for private practice introverts, highly sensitive therapists, and solopreneurs who help and heal. May the forest be with you.